millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, January 4th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the 2023 legislative session is now underway. We hear from chamber leadership on the outlook for the next 90 days. Then Republicans control both houses, but Democrats have policy priorities of their own. A conversation with the House Minority Leader. Plus, how teachers in the county Capital City's public schools face persistent challenges because of the troubled water system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB. Think great. The 2023 session of the Mississippi Legislature is now in session. Please let the House come to order. Lawmakers arrived in Jackson yesterday to gavel in the 2023 legislative session. It's the last session for Republican Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, who will not be seeking re-election this fall. Republicans continue to hold a supermajority in both chambers, but it's an election year and leaders in both parties say some pressing issues like the crumbling health care system must be addressed. MPB's Kobe Vance has more on what a chamber leadership is looking to prioritize this session. Each chamber and party in Mississippi's legislature has indicated different policy priorities this year but there are some common ground. Tax cuts, rural health care, and protections for mothers, families, and children. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says the state has made many decisions in recent years that have reduced budgetary spending. He says the legislature will be looking to cut some taxes this year. I'm not necessarily opposed to some uh, longer-term income tax relief, but we really have to absorb that by 2026 before we start anything else. Everybody from our state economist to anybody else you talk to says we're going into a recession. We have prepared Mississippi for a recession. We need to be very careful here, y'all. Last year, the state eliminated the 4% tax bracket and began the process of reducing taxes over several years. Lawmakers say this session may allow for expediting that process. Both the Senate and House have created leadership teams to investigate how the state can better invest in women, families, and children following the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs. Senate members have held several public hearings to inform policy. And while a commission formed by House Speaker Philip Gunn has not produced any public data, he says the policy decisions will speak for themselves. And we have met numerous times throughout the fall, and we have developed a number of proposals we're going to come forward with reforming the foster care system, adoption, crisis pregnancy centers, some others that I can't recall off the top of my head right now. 
The first deadline for lawmakers to file bills is next Wednesday, January 11th. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Democratic leadership is hyper-focused on the hospital situation. That's according to House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez. In a conversation with our Michael Guidry, he says there is momentum to get that and some other party priorities addressed this year. It is like a perfect storm. Uh, if, if this issue, if this crisis is really a crisis that we're facing with hospitals and health care, if this were happening in the first year of a new term, it will be it will be a slow burn, just slowly moving. Nobody nobody would be in a hurry. We have time, but this crisis is upon us. It's right here, and uh, people have to consider going back home, uh, telling their local uh, constituents that oh yeah, our hospital closed, and we are we were right there, and we had a chance to do something about it, and we didn't. Uh, we have over $350 million in offer funds left, not to mention the amount of surplus we have because we had a two, at least two to three years of great revenue uh, available to us. There's, we have a responsibility to do something. And I hear people who are not interested in all in helping anybody in health care suddenly have done an about face. And they, some Republicans are even talking about Medicaid expansion. So, yeah, an election year makes a difference. And an election year when you have a crisis happening right in the midst of a legislative session means that something will get done that otherwise wouldn't have gotten done. In conversations that you've had going into the session, um, we know that on the Senate side, last session, uh, they uh, they passed legislation that would have at least extended postpartum Medicaid. They didn't get taken up in the House, but it's a new session. And like you we've said, it's it's an election year. Uh, is there is there anything that looks like? It has the potential to pass, whether it is an expansion of Medicaid, whether it's other um, types of financial support to the healthcare system. Is is it going into the session? Is there buzz about something kind of already in the works that that could serve that purpose? Some of the most resistant people in the leadership who have not been open at all to postpartum uh, expansion are at least uh, at least entertaining that discussion now. But more importantly, they also have, I've had uh, concessions from some leadership that they will support doing something at least in the short term to help rural hospitals. And they haven't been interested in doing that at all. Uh, they, in fact, up, up until this year, they've been kind of dismissive about it. Well, it's not that big a deal. Maybe some hospitals don't need to be open. Nobody's saying that now. People are saying, yeah, we need to do something. So, uh, yes, there have been some discussions leading in that at least, uh, make, it makes me feel encouraged about doing something about those critical issues. What are, considering, I mean, considering the, 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 the mountain that you have to climb with Republican supermajority in your chamber, um, are, there, are there issues that you feel like are high priority that you have, you have the momentum and you have the bipartisan support uh, to, to, to try to tackle in this session aside from health care? Yeah, the initiative and referendum issue. Uh, there, there, there are people on both sides that feel like uh, we're we're long overdue to make that simple correction we need to make to, to give that right back to the people in the state of Mississippi. We could have done it last year, but you know I will say that Republicans were, were resistant to doing something about it because when people are not tied to party affiliation and they just go in to the polls and vote in their best interest, now it doesn't always coincide with. This is the Republican agenda or this is the Democratic agenda. They do what's best. 
Medical marijuana is a perfect example. The flag is another perfect example. And we feel it would be the same thing with Medicaid expansion, be the same thing with how or in what sense you limit a woman's, a woman's right to choose. I mean, all of those issues are right for the ballot. And uh, there are people in leadership in, in the House, there are Republicans who don't want to see that happen because they know people will vote in their own best interest. So that is a high-priority issue. People should have that right given back to them. And it's a simple thing for us to do, and we should get it done. The other issue is we want reforms in the Temporary Assistance to Needed Families program in the Department of Human Services, reforms that will actually do something to help this 180 to 190 children that we have in poverty and mothers who are looking for jobs and trying to get trained to work. We want to see effective policy and better use of the money and, uh, and more controls about how we spend that money. But not so many, but not controls in the sense that we limit how, how we uh, get people enrolled in the program. We need to we need to take away some of the restrictions and make it easier for people to get involved in that program. But we also need to have some restrictions on just handing out money to uh, people who allegedly run these big nonprofits and are not really serving anybody. We given we don't have any restriction to giving people lump sums of five six million dollars. But when a person wants to qualify to get training and get help, no more than two hundred seventy dollars a month that we think ought to be doubled, then we have all kinds of restrictions on that. So we want to see changes in that arena. And uh, one more question that kind of circles back to the, the, some of the things, you, the comments you made about about the referendum process. And you you brought up things like the state flag, medical marijuana. These all those issues are are issues that that are commonly championed by by members of your party. And there are also things that seem to have a lot of public support. Yet there's a divide between what some Mississippi voters say they want and, and the people that they vote into office to create laws. How does the how does the party, uh, you're, you're part of party leadership, uh, how does the party bridge that gap? Well, you know, people don't like talking about it, but we still are a state that's, that's still as a, a, a embedded in a background of, of racial prejudice. And so people vote. They, they don't vote the people in office who are the best people for them. We've, we've gotten to a point that we've gotten so polarized that, especially in Mississippi, that if you're a Democrat, everybody associates that with somebody black. If you're a Republican, you know, it's white. And so a lot of times people go to the polls and vote for a Republican, not so much because that's, you know, that's the person that's really promoting the things that are in their best interest, but they just can't bring themselves to vote for the party that they think represents black people, when actually – the Democratic Party, you know, is probably the majority African-American right now. But the truth of the matter is, are these issues like Medicaid expansion or, or, or giving a woman a right to choose? These are all about liberty and freedom. And it's about making sure that working people have representation. The, the issues that we, we promote are issues that, that people don't have the money to hire lobbyists to come in and, and promote those issues at the legislature for them. These are issues that, that rank and file people who vote for us say, this is what we need. People, when, when we talk about Medicaid expansion, it, it is, it's frustrating when people think about it in terms of, are you giving something away? No, this is actually something that helps people who work every day. Everything has gotten politicized into it's a Democrat or Republican, it's, and, it, and it's really not. And so sometimes it takes a crisis, like we're having now in healthcare, to say, look, forget about the party line. This is something we need to do. And I'm beginning to see that. So what, what do we do? I, what I, all I can do 
to tell you, Mr. Gidry, is just to continue to focus on the issues. And, again, I, this is like a perfect storm in an election year. I don't have to create these. I don't have to keep – I don't have to be like the guy ringing a bell and say, hey, I'm warning you, it's, it's coming. Now, it's here. So everything I told you would happen is happening right now. And everything we need to do about it, here are the solutions that we've been offering for the last five, six, almost ten years to do something about these issues. It's time to do something about them now. And I hope people will, will, will get past that and realize these are issues that help everybody, black, white, Democrat, and Republican. Well, Representative Robert Johnson III from Natchez, House Minority Leader, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us about the session. Thank you for having me. Coming up, lessons learned from living alongside environmental contamination for decades. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Black communities in the Gulf states have long grappled with contaminated environments. Jackson and Birmingham, Alabama are two cities that have seen the consequences. After years of pollution, residents are looking out for each other by finding solutions and advocating for continued awareness. As the Gulf states newsroom's Danny MacArthur reports, they have strategies to share with each other. Jackson, Mississippi has chronic water issues, and in August, the low pressure, contaminated water, and failing infrastructure got so bad that most of the city's 150,000 residents lost access to clean drinking water. Combine that with the threat of lead contamination, and that means bottled water has become a standard resource for people like Tariq Abdul Tawab and his family. Well, now problems that have existed for 50 years are coming to fruition. At a recent rally, residents shared stories of becoming sick, having children with birth defects, and even losing loved ones because of the contaminated water. Abdul Tawab says this problem isn't new. It has roots in the Reconstruction era. Mississippi historically has denied African American and the descendants of slavery rights to anything they can. That's the reality that we're at. Now, Jackson residents are taking care of each other. Abdul Tawab is part of the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition. They have been distributing clean water to residents during this recent crisis. They've also been rallying with other groups each month in front of the governor's mansion and state capitol, pressuring state officials to fully fund a solution. Abdul Tawab says Jackson residents are fighting for themselves, but they need others to step in and help. We've thrived, we've lived, we've raised children, we've raised generations, we're Jackson strong, but it's about time for the rest of the nation to jump into this fight. Contamination has plagued communities across the Gulf states for decades. In Alabama, over a century of exposure to coal plants has poisoned North Birmingham's air and soil. Tammy Smith says she's watched family and friends succumb to breathing problems and cancer. Smith is 59 years old, and for most of her life, she was used to it. 
with where we was living. We couldn't afford to pack up and go. Smith shared her story during a monthly meeting of People Against Neighborhood Industrial Contamination, or PANIC. It's an environmental justice group that was started by activist Charlie Powell more than a decade ago. There's been an uphill climb, but uh, if, do I have any regrets? No. And like Abdul Tawab in Jackson, Powell points to a long history of discrimination. In this case, the air pollution mostly hurts historically black neighborhoods in Birmingham, where people were forced to live due to redlining. You gotta always remember that uh, black folks always had limited amount of places they could stay. And that was gonna be always round plants and all of that. Panic has been pushing federal and local leaders for years to shut down the plants and pay residents to relocate or compensate them if they stay. Powell believes if relocation is actually going to happen, they're closer now than ever. Me and my peoples need relief. We need to be out of there immediately, if not sooner. Birmingham residents have learned some lessons over the years that they think could help their neighbors in Jackson. For one, Panic hosts monthly neighborhood meetings. This way, they can keep everyone informed about what's going on, address rumors, and support one another. Lesson number two, you've got to stay loud. Smith says it's important to keep pressing the issue. Because I'm learning, we got to take all the platform we can to voice our opinion because they don't want to hear you. They don't want the world to know that they're not doing the thing they're supposed to do. After years of sounding the alarm, one chronic air violator, Bluestone Coke, agreed to pay a fine of more than $900,000 in early December. And finally, they say, do your own research. The city of Birmingham came out with a draft plan that could put millions into a buyout program. But Powell argues that is not enough. So, Panic is going door-to-door in neighborhoods around the coal plants and surveying residents about what their homes are actually worth. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Danny MacArthur. The Gulf States Newsroom's Taylor Washington and MPB's Lacey Alexander contributed to reporting this story. Coming up, how teachers in the capital city's public schools face persistent challenges brought on by a troubled water system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Continued water system failures are causing challenges for administrators and teachers in the Jackson area. Jackson Public Schools say they are heavily monitoring the water pressure situation as unclean water could lead to issues with school lunches and student hygiene. George Stewart is the president of the Jackson Association of Educators and a public school teacher. He tells our Lacey Alexander when educators try to power through water issues, simple things can seem much more daunting. Sometimes when we're in the, in the schools, we try to power we try to power through the issue. But even with that, there are also some issues in regards to say like restroom breaks. And so oftentimes as educators, we often talk about no bell to bell learning, really maximizing the time that we have with our students and helping them to really progress academically. And so oftentimes we call that bell to bell learning to really maximize that. But sometimes, but of course, throughout the course of a class period, we have to do restroom breaks for our students to make sure that they are uh, taking care of that issue. But sometimes when there's low water pressure, no water pressure sometimes, then there's a, there's a huge um, block of time that is, that is taken up with trying to complete things like a restroom break. Because maybe there's, maybe there's one restroom break or maybe there's one restroom that may be working better than others. And so you have a congest, so you have con- kids kind of congested and trying to use the restroom, and and something like that. You, you can see it being a huge inconvenience, but at the same time, it's also taking away a huge chunk of the students' learning time. So that's one of the major things that happens when we try to power through our um, water issues that we have, and again, uh, the restroom issue. And and you can see how that could also be a a health issue as well. You know, when we're talking about washing hands and things like that. So, so there are, there are times when we try to power through it, but again, oftentimes it kind of, it alters our schedule a good bit, which uh, impedes on the, the learning environment of our students. And have you known an issue like this to affect like school lunches at all? Yes, it, it definitely affects school lunches. Uh, for one, they have to, I guess also the type of lunch that they have to that they have to consume because of the water issue. And sometimes it throws even in that it also throws off the scheduling sometimes regarding the, the, the lunches as well. So that's also an inconvenience to the environment. Well so a lot of this really alters the way our school functions. It really alters our time schedules when we're talking about really trying to maximize the time that we have with our students. And I think that's the biggest thing is that things like this water issue really impedes on the instructional time that we have with our students. But absolutely it does affect uh, the environment uh, when it, in regards to lunches and, and having to report to the cafeteria and leaving the cafeteria and, and things like that. And obviously the district or the school system will speak for most Jackson Public Schools at once. But is there are there any chances of one school being affected more than others in the Jackson Public School system? Yes. Um, most of the time when there is a water issue, a serious water issue, the south side of the city is affected the most. And so different schools within our uh, district, particularly on the south side of the city, 
are affected more so than other parts. And I think also the west side of the city as well are affected a great deal. But definitely the south side of the city is affected more so than the other other parts of the schools in other parts of the city. So you may have so you may have schools, and we've had that issue as well. Where we've had um, schools maybe on our northern side of the city where they're functioning, you know, okay, and that school is in. However, there are schools on the south side of our city that are on virtual learning or maybe a hybrid type of situation. So there may be pockets of of the city where where schools are are not as efficient in regards to the water as other parts of the city. George Stewart, president of the Jackson Association of Educators, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. My pleasure. Thank you. JPS officials tell us 33 schools report low or no water pressure. Administrators now say they'll have classes virtually tomorrow and Friday and will monitor updates. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.